You're listening to Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn how to improve key metrics that grow your business from companies that have done it before. In this episode, I got to chat with Rand Fishkin, co-founder and CEO of SparkToro. We talked about how they get to do marketing their way, which results in more thoughtful, valuable, human-centered content, why they believe in focusing on so-called vanity metrics, like followers, subscribers, and video views, which they see drive results but are kind of impossible to fully measure, why they don't use SEO as a growth channel, how they're using zero-click content to drive massive results on social, and a lot more. It was a really fun conversation. I know you're going to enjoy it. And it just so happens that our friends at SparkToro are actually putting on their own virtual conference. It's called Spark Together. Here are three reasons why you should check it out. Number one, the entire format is stories, not lectures. So it's kind of like this podcast. Amazing world-class marketers are sharing stories of how they tried to move the needle step by step, how they tried to drive growth, the levers they pulled, all of that. Number two, the stories are raw and unfiltered. It's actually a live-only event. And speakers are going to be sharing real numbers, real financial figures, ugly truths, the good, bad, the ugly, everything. And number three, it's 100% live only. And that kind of ensures that, you know, the speakers are going to feel like they can share everything in a raw, transparent way without it being recorded, without a bunch of public details being shared. Um, so it's, it's a really cool environment that they're fostering where you're going to get to hear all these insights and stories you would not hear on YouTube or on podcast interviews like this, maybe, um, and so I think you should go check it out. Uh, you can go to sparktoro.com and learn more there. Rand, this is a huge honor for me. I tweeted this out, uh, which you saw, but this is an absolute honor for me. Uh, I'm sure like a lot of listeners, you have been a huge part of uh, my marketing career. I've been learning from you for years. Really, uh, it's been fun. It's super fun to chat with Amanda. Um, and it's really cool to follow along with SparkToro's journey. So this is just a big honor for me. I'm going to try and transparently quell the nerves as I talk to you so that uh, I can just have a good conversation. But thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure, Jeremiah. Thanks for having me, man. Um, okay, so for the few that don't know, um, we typically start the show this way. Can you give like the 30-second pitch for SparkToro? Like what is it? Who is it for? Oh, sure. Um Basically, SparkToro is audience research software. So if you are a marketer or a product developer, a persona creator, an entrepreneur, and you're trying to gain a deep understanding of people that you want to reach either with your product or your marketing message, SparkToro is a great way to do that really quickly. Um, a lot of the things that surveys and interviews can't do well, SparkToro can do well. So if you were to say, hey, my audience is interior designers in Canada and I wanna reach them with my new product, Great. SparkToro can tell you what podcasts they listen to, what YouTube channels they're subscribed to, what social accounts they follow, what websites they visit, what uh, words and phrases they use when they post online, what subreddits they're subscribed to, what hashtags they use. All, all this kind of information uh, around behavioral data and demographic data as well that comes from anonymized, aggregated social profiles across the web. Uh, currently, our coverage is mostly just English language and, uh, and very US, UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand centric. Um, it is, yeah, it is for just about anyone who needs that problem solved. So we have a fairly broad market set, a uh, surprising number of, I don't know, NGOs and uh, folks who help, you know, um, centers for trade and commerce, educational uh, institutions, and then a lot of marketers who are in-house as well as consultants and agencies. So really anyone who wants to get to know their audience better effectively and what they're talking about, what they're interested in, what pain points they might have. Um, yeah. And especially where to find them. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We were, I know, I mean, I mentioned before, but when I was at lemon pie, um, it was a huge tool for the team to use, to identify like what podcast target audience might be listening to. So, um, exactly. Right. And so, you know, depending on what your marketing does, you know, if your marketing team is thinking, geez, you know, we're spending 95 cents for every dollar of revenue on Google and Facebook and Amazon ads, like, huh, is there, is there a more efficient way to do this? Like maybe we could be in the places where our audience pays attention, have a harder to measure type of marketing investment, but a much higher ROI one. Absolutely. Yeah. It's um, so this is a good segue to some of the metrics you all look at internally. 
Um, we're going to be talking about today. The focus of the episode will be around your efforts in social, draw, uh, growing social impressions, um, and some of the harder to metric uh, measure metrics around that. Um, but I know that's been really impactful for you. You mentioned as far as other metrics that are important for you to track at the company, there are very few, right? You said MRR, annual profit. Is that about it? Or are there any others that you're sort of looking at on a regular basis? I mean, we look at costs as well. So costs on a monthly basis, uh, matters a good deal, especially my co-founder, Casey, who is um, much more conservative financially than I am. And uh, obviously that speaks to, you know, kind of end of year profits, but end of year profits is the big thing that drives like our sort of bonuses. We have this very unique funding structure, so we're not venture backed. Uh, we never plan to raise venture. Um, I think after writing after writing my book, Lost and Founder, uh, one venture capitalist put it, you'll never raise money again. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm kind of proud of that. Um, and yeah, so our investors basically put in 1.3 million. There's 36 of them. Once we pay them back their initial sum, which, which we're actually on the verge of doing right now, oh, wow. uh, we all get to participate in profit sharing pro rata. And so you can see why you know profit is sort of our incentive rather than kind of raw growth rate or other types of odd venture math, right? Because we don't care about the M&A pricing. We don't care about an IPO. We're not worried about raising our next round of funding. So a lot of the metrics that a SaaS company, software as a service company, would normally care a lot about, we just don't care about. We don't, we don't optimize toward those. Is and, and do you th do you set goals around you know annual profit or or, or MRR mm -hmm. or anything like that? Do you project that out in any way? Uh, profit, yes. MRR, no. Okay. Um, so I tell our investors like, hey, we're on track to grow. You know, whatever, fifty percent this year or so. But um, I do not uh, make any predictions about. Sorry, I don't make any um, internal targets around MRR growth, we make our targets around profit. And because of that, if we grow more, we have more to spend, right? So we have kind of more budget that we can put against growth initiatives. For example, like the, um, the Spark Together uh, conference, our first ever uh, you know, public conference event, that's gonna be in, in November. Amanda and I have been putting that together. And that was one of those things where in the summer we realized, hey, we have budget and sort of bandwidth to do this. Let's uh, let's put it together. Hopefully next year we'll actually have budget and bandwidth to put it together as a live event in person. I'm hoping uh, in in Seattle during the summer when it's uh, nice here and boiling hot everywhere else. <laughs> um, and I'm I'm curious. Like I don't I don't quite know the perfect way to word this, so I'll just make a couple attempts at yeah, it. Right. But uh, but like you know, it seems to me like talking to Amanda, obviously super smart marketer. Um, it seems like I got the impression that you all sort of instinctually, you've got good gut instincts on what the right levers to pull are, what the right, uh, thing to invest in. Like I mentioned to you off mic, I interviewed Tim Sulo recently. That's kind of how they operate at Ahrefs. It seems like there are these companies that kind of like, they're just good, what I'll call observational marketers. They're like, this is how we would behave if we were people like, you know, if we were customers, this is the things that are worth investing in. Is that kind of how you identify what channel, like you're a very small team. Is that what you're, how you're identifying what to invest in to hit that profit goal? Or are, is it a bit more mathematical than that, than it, than it looks maybe from the outside? No, I would say, so as compared to Moz, which was extremely metrics driven, Moz was my, my previous company for folks who might not know, that was an SEO software business, actually competed with Tim Sulo's company, Ahrefs for a long time. Um, and Moz was extremely metrics driven. It was venture backed, raised about $30 million, got to around 50 million in annual revenue, um, you know, was, was profitable for most of its life, but in a way that, uh, you know, it was hyper growth focused, right? right. The, the goal was hyper growth, which it did very well for a long time and then plateaued and really struggled the last few years. Uh, but that that business completely different from how we think about SparkToro, which is essentially much more driven on instinct uh, and on what I would call vanity metrics. So, you know, what a lot of marketers would say for, for years, right? Marketers have said things like visits, impressions, free signups, um, you know, your, the size of your email newsletter list, 
uh, the size of your social following, the, the, the number of people who saw your video on LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram, those metrics are vanity metrics. They don't go to the bottom line. They're not you know, what drives conversions and revenue. And Amanda and I basically ignore that advice entirely. Um, and it's very odd because I'm certainly a person who for a decade stood on stage and decried, you know, rallied against vanity metrics. And now here I am embracing them. Um, and that is, that is for a couple of reasons, Jeremiah. One of the, the, the biggest one for sure is the big, um, big tech networks that kind of own the web. This is essentially Fang, right? Facebook, Apple, Amazon, and Netflix to a lesser extent, but but uh, Google, absolutely, and even Microsoft, they have all uh, realized over the past decade that they can extract a ton more advertising dollars if they make it really hard or nearly impossible to track organic traffic, mm. right? So under the guise of privacy, right, they, they sort of like created this privacy scare, made people feel like, oh, your privacy is in jeopardy. Something bad might happen to you if... I don't know, some website knows that you searched for men's hiking boots before you landed on their men's hiking boots page. I'm not sure what the bad thing is, but <laughs> Google's convinced the world that like that, that would be really scary. So they only give that data to paid advertisers, which is completely hypocritical. Right, and so they actually are tracking um, it. Indefensible. Yeah. yeah, I mean, totally indefensible, right? And, and Google obviously has the data, but regardless, right? They took away keyword data. Facebook's taken away a ton of referral data. Instagram no longer shows the uh, referral data when, when someone clicks through on the uh, profile bio link from Instagram. You can't see because of uh, cookie tracking losses, right? You can't see visitors who return to your website multiple times. Multi-device world has made that hard too. There's all this software and technology and sort of, you know, machine learning, pseudo AI stuff to try and give you that data back. And in my opinion, it is a complete waste of time to invest in those things when you're not at a hundred million dollar plus scale, because you just will not, you will spend more energy, effort, and dollars trying to measure than you will improving your results because of what you're able to infer or measure. Um, and so, yeah, we just we just don't even try. We we don't make any attempt to say, oh, okay, well, you know, going on podcasts like, like Jeremiah's re uh, revenue podcast, like, you know, that has this much impact on our marketing. We don't, we don't know. Right. Uh, and we, and frankly, we don't care. Like I enjoy having conversations with folks like yourself. I would do this, even if there was no money in it at all, probably someone who hears us will go to spark Toro and sign up for a free account. And be like, you know, and in a few months they'll try a search and they'll be like, "Ooh, this is really valuable. I should tell my friend over at such and such company about it." And friend at such and such company will sign up and it'll be like, "Okay, hey, that's great." And there's no way to track it. Like it's, it's totally impossible to track it. So should we a invest in channels that we cannot track, or b put all our you know dollars in the Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google, TikTok, you know? advertising networks where we're going to pay 92, 95 cents for every dollar of revenue. I'd rather go on your show, man. Yeah. Yeah. Does it feel like, did you always hold these two intention when you were at Moz or has this been a, a shift for you, like a shift in thinking and, and kind of like marketing belief? Like did, did Amanda hold it and she kind of introduced you to it or, or did you kind of always feel the rub while you were there? Um, I'm curious, like when, when the shift came from sort of, like you said, like decrying vanity metrics to kind of seeing like, actually, these are the only indicators we have that people are consuming. And if they're consuming, it's probably resonating if it's good. Yeah. So I think the reality is the incentives and structure that I had at Moz meant that I felt like my team did not have a choice. So as I built out a marketing team and a content team and a product team, engineering teams, right? They were all um, sort of subservient to the metrics, playing to the numbers. Numbers were a huge part of everything that we did, you know, measuring top of funnel, middle of funnel, conversion, bottom of funnel, re returning visits, you know, or uh, returning customers, cancellation rates, right? Obsessed with that stuff. I personally still did a lot of serendipitous, hard to measure, impossible measure marketing, just under the guise of like networking and being an entrepreneur and a founder. 
um, because I like that stuff and I believe it had uh, impossible to measure, but very positive outcomes for the business, right? I think that, I mean, that's how I raised money, right? Got introduced to all my network that helped me get connections to the venture world. It's how I networked into meeting people who became part of our executive team and a lot of our, you know, key hires at the company. It's um, how I got invited to stages and, and to speak, all this kind of stuff, right? Just a ton of different things. Got offers for acquisition from that, um, which foolishly, like, like a complete idiot, we turned down. Uh, but all those kinds of things are um, no metrics around them, right? You just do the things that feel right, feel productive, seem like they'd be a good idea, um, and did not run the team that way, but ran my own personal marketing that way okay. for the company. And then when I transitioned to Spark Tour, I was like, yes. I never have to care about venture capitalists again. <laughs> I can just do the things that I love to do. So it's, you know, what's kind of great is it's both a better life and a vastly more efficient, more efficient marketing stack, mm. right? More efficient and more profitable marketing program. If you look at the cost to acquire a customer for SparkToro, it's essentially, I guess you take... 70% of Amanda's salary and maybe like 40% of mine and divide it by every customer we've ever acquired. Okay. Yeah. That, but that's it, right? Those are the only two costs. Yeah. You know? So do you, um, I was, that, that was going to be my question. You kind of alluded to it. Like just, just a fun question. Like, do you, does it feel freer? Like in spark tour, do, does it feel like you can kind of do whatever marketing seems best to you and whatever seems funnest in the moment? Yeah, exactly. And, and, it does not have to be. So I'll give you an example. We, Amanda and I do this um, holiday gift guide every year. It's, it's the best dang uh, food and drink gift guide on the internet. We publish it on SparkToro's website, on, on the blog. There is no connection to our product. <laughs> There's no reason for us to do it. We do it because we like food and drink gifts. We like giving them to people. We like getting them from people. We thought the internet seems to have not good resources on this. So let's create it ourselves. Um, and we like celebrating small indie producers of tasty foods and fun beverages. So that's, <laughs> that's the kind of thing you like, get to lean into when yeah, you're not beholden. Uh, right. Um, uh, you know, right now I, this is like barely tangential to spark Toro, but I've always been really frustrated that there's no, um, no published data on how accurate all the third-party estimates of traffic are. So like, you know, when Google Trends says this website gets more, whatever, search volume, or this website gets more visits than this other one, or SimilarWeb says that, or SEMrush says it, or AHREF says it, whoever. How do you know who's right? Which one's the most accurate? Right. And so we, like, we sent out an email to all of our subscribers and we did a whole bunch of social posting. Um, about trying to collect, we, we got about a thousand websites who gave us their Google Analytics uh, OAuth, right? So connected to a little piece of software that Casey wrote in kind of his spare time. No, not even his spare time, right? Like in, in his SparkToro time. And we're going to publish that. Like I, I'm in the process of collecting it right now, should be done by the end of the month. And then we'll, you know, publish like, here's who's the most accurate. Here's who's the least accurate. It's frustrating that that information is nowhere on the internet. And maybe it'll turn into something good for SparkToro at some point. I don't know. Maybe it's like a reputation builder for us. Right. But really, it's just, I want to do it. So we're going to do it. Right. Yeah. It's the, the driver is like your desire to put that out into the world. There are bound to be residual effects of that. But that's not the thing that's going to make you pull the trigger or not on producing it. it ex exactly right. Exactly right. And... I think that um, the beautiful thing about that freedom is you get to feel this. Um, I think that, it's, okay. I think that a ton of people in modern capitalism, you know, capitalist economies feel like they are completely subservient. They are, they are constantly pushed toward only the things that will maximize their revenue or their, their salary or their, you know, status. And I, I completely, I have a lot of empathy for that. Like, I totally understand where that comes from. 
um, especially in the United States, you know, where where healthcare and and other uh, fundamental key benefits are um, are not part of what you're provided as a citizen. Like capitalism's brutal, right? If you fall into the bottom fifty percent, oh my god, like people are just just struggling. You know, even professionals who work far harder, far longer hours than I do. Um, plenty of people who I'm sure are smarter and and more deserving. They don't get, you don't kind of get what you deserve. You, you know, you have to work the system. And so people just feel this like (laughs) bondage to uh, making as much money as they possibly can. And the, the only great thing about capitalism is the freedom to get to use your labor in the way, in the way that you want. And that's kind of what we get to do at Spark Toro. So my God, we're going to take advantage of it. And hopefully, you know, what I, what I, kind of hope too, is that our example can serve as an inspiration to others that, that they'll, you know, they'll look and they'll say, oh, you know, Rand's company might not be making as much money. His new company might not be making as much like raw dollars as his old company was, but he's personally making more and his team's making more and everyone's way happier and they work a lot less. Should I do that? Right, right. <laughs> it, right. <laughs> Instead of raising money and sort of burning out and, you know, having crazy anxiety and depression and making less and having only a one in a hundred shot of, you know, actually returning money to your investors, all those kinds of terrible things that, um, that those structures build up. Yeah. I think, um, I, I keep, as you continue to put things out about beliefs that you hold at Spark Toro, you know, the way that you work together, the, the, the sort of like calm business that you're creating, the, the meeting cadence and schedule is very, um, it, it keeps making me think, obviously there's a lot of distinctions as well, but it makes me think of Basecamp a lot, which um, when mm, I read yeah. some of the early stuff, you know, from them, I always really liked the way that they were sort of not just counter VC for the sake of being counter VC, but like, Hey, what if we designed a company that we actually liked working at and we had no plans to like retire from or sell and and things like that. So, um, and kind of this like slow to get swept up into the hype of what everyone else is doing. And that's, those are some of the things I think I, I see, uh, when I kind of watch spark tour from afar. So it's, it'll, it'll be fun to continue to watch these, uh, beliefs, um, turn into things that, like you said, like spearhead, maybe change or like lead the example in, in other ways. Um, yeah. So we're going to talk today about, uh, some of the social things that you're investing in your focus on social impressions specifically. Cause, uh, but something that I'm curious about is what was the belief? Like I, I, I'm going to, I think I know the answer to this question. Amanda and I touched on it, but I'm going to ask it for all of the Rand Fishkin, the SEO hardcore Rand Fishkin fans. Why the, um, why was social and some of these other quote unquote dark channels, such a, a big thing that you leaned into versus SEO? Um, like the obvious, you know, thing that everyone would expect is like, oh, let's just, you know, dominate as many search terms as possible. That'll be like the main acquisition channel, all these things. Yeah. So I think that dominating a bunch of keyword rankings is a fine marketing tactic. If lots and lots of people are searching for the product that you offer, or they're searching around the problem that your product solves. And if that's not the case, all the rankings in the world are useless to you. I, um, I like giving the example of, of like Mountain Dew soda. It's kind of terrible, right? Like it tastes bad, but it has this cult following and, you know, people who are obsessed with it are obsessed with it. But I'm, I'm trying to imagine like, what is a keyword that you could possibly rank for in Google? If you're on the Mountain Dew, you know, brand marketing team, what is a keyword that you could rank for? and sell more Mountain Dew as a result. Right. I don't think there is one. Like, I don't think there's, there, I don't think there's a single thing that team could possibly do. Now, take that all the way out to, um, you know, I'm try, uh, uh, local landscaping services in Seattle, Washington. Um, you know, probably a ton of that business actually comes through referral, so maybe that's not a, uh, a great example. Oh, okay, so, um, 
you need a 12 foot long telescoping, um, you know, stick for your camera to be able to like see up high or, or take long selfie stick photos. Yeah, man, tons of people are going to search Google and Amazon for that. They don't care about the brand. They're just going to look at like the basic reviews and is the thing 12 foot long, 12 feet long. Okay, good. Click buy done. So ranking well for that specific search term is going to help you. You know, there's um, email marketing software providers who probably will get some value from ranking in the top for email marketing software. Although my suspicion is they'd probably get even more business uh, and better results if instead of ranking in those top results, they were the best reviewed and best liked by editorial reviews that rank for e best email marketing software, or they had a better reputation among email marketing professionals. Uh, so SEO, I don't know. I was obsessed with it for years. I, I sort of worshiped it. I, I get that a ton of people care a tremendous amount about it. And certainly look, people get lots of value from their rankings uh, and are, are able to drive traffic and are able to drive conversions from that. But at SparkToro, I, I thought we were more like Mountain Dew than we were an email marketing provider. Like there's just, just less. I could not think of, you know, people don't have search terms in mind when they're looking to do audience research. They don't even call it audience research. Mm. At some point, marketers will encounter this problem of like, gosh, I sort of want to break away from just Google and Facebook. I want to experiment with other channels. I want to go direct to some websites and do some content marketing, do some PR, do some press pieces, uh, try some third-party contributions, see if I can get editorial coverage, sponsor someone else's email newsletter, pitch a podcast, get on a YouTube channel, all that kind of stuff. And when they have that problem, they're like, I don't even know what to call that. So you kind of, what you have to do instead is here's the group of people who are that potential audience. They might encounter that problem. And I think for a brand like SparkToro, our job is sell both the problem and the solution to that group of people so that they know you exist, they've heard of you, they like you, they trust you, they've heard good things about you, you have a good reputation, um, the data looks good, the product looks good, it's easy to try, you know, SparkToro is free, um, we, we have forever free accounts, we don't even do like the credit card free trial thing. Uh, and as a result, you know, of that potentially long involved customer journey, some of those people every month will sign up for an account because they need it and they want to do that work. But almost none of them are ever going to search Google for a term that's going to bring them to you. Yeah. Uh, do, do you envision in the future, um, in some ways, it it seems like you all might be, I don't, I don't know if you like this phrase or not, but this is the only way I know to word it, but creating a category that yeah. maybe in five to 10 years, uh, SparkToro sort of leads the way for this keyword research and then maybe SEO becomes a priority down the road. But right now you're thinking like, uh, obviously it doesn't make sense because people aren't even like really typing this in or searching it. It's just like, oh, this is a problem. This is I, that 50 people would describe this problem 50 different ways. So there's really no, you know, sense trying to like rank for it. Instead, you're using social to sort of show up, meet them where they're at or build pieces of content, build a newsletter, whatever it may be um, and yep. educate them and things like that. So do you ever do you envision like not that you have any plans to this, but do you feel like have you seen any momentum gained on people naming this a certain thing or like beginning to search this out a little bit more? Um, no, not yet. Okay. <laughs> no, uh, no real searches for audience research software or what we used to try and call it audience intelligence or audience intelligence software that didn't, that didn't seem to take off and people didn't really like catch on. So audience research seems to be, uh, a more resonant term that people get, but actually, you know, what's interesting, um, yeah. So Jeremiah, the, the fascinating part of all this is. When I started Moz, there was almost no searches for SEO software. Really? There was a little bit for a keyword called SEO tools and people, you know, this is like 2004, five, six, people were um, going to, I can't even remember the name of the provider, but there was like a, an SEO tool suite that you could download onto your desktop. And then like from your desktop, it would, it would run searches against Google or like crawl certain stuff for you from your own computer. Maybe it's called like 
SEO power suite or something like that. That was like the only thing out there. So there was no software as a service subscription service that was, you know, checking your rankings for you and crawling all your links and showing you how your competitors were doing versus you all, all the usual, right. SEO software kind of stuff. So that was kind of a category creation process there too, you know, in a few years after we started Moz, um, and that took off, there were, you know, um, like SEM rush came out, Ahrefs came out maybe four or five years later. Um, yeah, a bunch of other ones, but it was super early, right? So category creation specifically in marketing software is something I'm familiar with in SEO world. Everyone knew what to call it, mm. right? People, people were searching for, they weren't searching for the software, but they were searching for, you know, check my Google rankings or automatic Google ranking checker or, um, find backlinks, Google, you know, that kind of thing. And so there was volume, there was plenty of things to rank for. And there were tons of educational searches too. So people who were like, I want to learn SEO or, you know, SEO guide or best SEO resources or SEO for e-commerce, you know, and then 10 million search terms around that in audience research, there's nothing like I, I have literally not identified a search keyword where I said, aha, that person for sure is trying to solve a problem that SparkToro can solve. That's why I love the, um, I've really been leaning into this and exploring this for data boxes use case, but I love social for this reason, especially Twitter, like leaning in more to, to Twitter's search function and just being able to test, mm -hmm. to like reverse engineer phrases, I think like people would test if they have questions, right? Like grow KPIs question mark or something like that, right? Like in our, in our case, or like for you, like um, software, you know, find audience question mark or something like that. And it's amazing to see these conversations surface that like use like, the, there's no way a like they're not typing this into Google clearly. And they're yeah. not, um, there's not going to be like one consistent way, but you can try like 20 different phrases and then participate in all these really beautiful organic conversations people are having around, Hey, does anyone like have a tool they use for this? Is, has anyone found an easier way to, you know, like check out what platforms my audience is on or whatever it may be. Um, so I think social is, is especially, um, it's really cool because it feels like you can kind of insert yourselves into these public organic conversations and begin to, to participate there as well, which is something you yeah. just, you can't do in search. You know, it feels like you're just responding to a need and trying to meet everything in one piece of content. Yeah. And I would say, you know, social is probably 25%, 30% of SparkToro's marketing. Um, is via social and you know, it's definitely like the very top of funnel. It's where we do a ton of engagement and learning from kind of uh, a lot of industry leaders and, and very active people in the marketing realm. But uh, it is, it's an awareness driver, but then it, the goal is kind of bring people to the website, get them to sign up for the free account, get them to recommend signing up to the free account to other people, disperse the information and sort of the brand of SparkToro. And then it's really, you know, I would say half or more of our marketing, probably 60% is like email, oh, right? Wow. It's email to people who've signed up for the free account and kind of that product marketing process. And then it's email through the newsletter that Amanda writes, which, which is outstanding. Um, and, and then it is, you know, we do a lot of webinars and, uh, content, obviously spark together here in November, uh, blog posts, right. Videos, um, events, all that kind of stuff. And, and a ton of guest appearances of all kinds, right? So like guest contributions, you know, Amanda and I'll contribute to someone's blog post if they ask, or we'll, you know, be on someone's show. Almost everyone I've talked to who's heard of SparkToro has heard of it through one of the two of us through some, you know, channel, someone else's channel. Okay. Like, a, like guest podcasting or something like that. Like you going on these different shows and yeah, saying, or being in, yeah, being in like the Siri interactive newsletter or, um, you know, the, the lemon pie newsletter or game discover co's newsletter, you know, all those kinds of yeah, things. Yeah. Now, um, your, your, the, the brand account LinkedIn for SparkToro is doing awesome. Like it's, it's like notoriously difficult to get 
I don't know if like what it is with LinkedIn's algorithm, but it seems like they like definitely stem the organic reach. I'm sure it's because they want you to pay for the reach or something like that, but um, they they definitely stem uh, the reach of these brand accounts. And yet there are standout companies like Gong is like the one everyone in B2B references, you know, 70 some thousand uh, followers on the brand account. You all have an incredible engagement, like organic engagement on, on uh, LinkedIn for the SparkToro brand account. So I was curious, how, how do you set, like, what thought did you put into growing that or into what kind of content goes on there? Like, how did you approach using that? Because I think that'd be something that like listeners would be really keen to learn who are trying to, you know, make as much as they can of the organic branded account. Yeah. So we use LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, and Facebook and, and to a lesser extent, I use Instagram a little bit, uh, all in the same way. And that is essentially trying to gain a deep understanding of the people on that platform and their interests, especially things that, um, what would I call this? They have professional emotional reactions about. Okay. A, a good example would be something like, I'm pissed about Facebook and Google taking away data from organic and putting and, and giving lots of attribution to paid. I'm upset with them about um, hiding keyword referral data. I'm upset with them about uh, cookie changes. I'm upset with them about uh, their new switch in, in the advertising platform to lots of lots less control for individual advertisers and sort of a, hey, just trust our algorithm. Our al algorithm will make sure that, you know, we get it in front of the right people. And then, of course, they're doing a ton of um, branded advertising, right? So they already, they know that people were going to come to your website and they put their ad, you know, your ad in front of them and then they take credit for it. And of course they charge you and, you know, your ad results look really good, but your business isn't really growing because it's not adding incrementality. Anyway, so like those kinds of topics, we search out, we try and find things that resonate professionally and emotionally with our audience. And then we create uh, what Amanda calls zero-click content. Content that lives natively on the platform, that does not drive them towards SparkToro directly. You don't have to click anything. The you know Maybe there's a two-minute video of me talking through some, some marketing story or um, explaining something about how SparkToro works or showing off how you can do a cool trick with other software like, like SimilarWeb or SEMrush or something. And all these... Uh, you know, videos require nothing except that you stay on LinkedIn, which LinkedIn loves, Twitter loves, Facebook loves, Instagram loves. They love you if you keep people on their platform and engaged on their platform, and they hate you if you try and drive traffic away from that. So we play to their algorithm, right? We play to their preference for native zero-click content, and then we rely on impossible to measure uh, you know, non-attributable visits that come as a result. So we know if 100 people watch a video about, you know, how to do some specific marketing task in SparkToro, even if there's no link, they'll probably go to Google and search for SparkToro or they'll type in sparktoro.com or they're already signed up to our email. And the next time they get the email newsletter, they'll click through and be like, oh yeah, I should try that thing I saw Randy do that video about, or they'll forward it to a friend and some positive business results will come and we'll never be able to measure it. So we kind of play the game that they've, you know, that they've forced you to play. Now, is this like, will this often correspond to, um, this is something we like, we, we believe in a lot and we do at Databox. And I'm curious, like some brands will give, um, for lack of a better, when I say 90% of the value, I don't mean like they're being withholding, but like they'll fit as much in as they can, you know, answering yeah. a specific audience question or something, or like a topic, like one of the topics you mentioned, they'll give a brief on it as much as the post will allow in length. They'll maybe share sure. an accompanying video or a deck. And then they'll do something like, if you want the full, like this is obviously enough data or like whatever for like this full robust thing. Will you like, will you often have an accompanying, like the full story or the deeper, the deeper context for people who wanted, who want to go further with you living on your website and like maybe link to that in the comments? Or do you often, when you say zero click, do you often try and like literally get the entire, like weird, like there's not even anything in the comments to go to, like just stay tuned for the next post kind of a thing. 
Yep, exactly that. Okay. Love it. Yeah. So it's very, it's very counterintuitive, right? Lots of, you know, CMOs and VPs of marketing and <laughs> folks would be like horrified, just horrified that we're um, essentially the only thing that we're, it looks like we're growing is our number of LinkedIn followers or, you know, our engagement rate on Twitter or something like that, right? These just pure vanity metrics that there's no way to know how much impact it had on, you know, the actual brand or the number of signups or the number of subscriptions. Um, and we do it anyway because we know it works. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, this is giving me a lot of ideas for things I want to do at Databox now, so this is good. Um, do you think about Twitter in a different way? Or like, like they're, they're obviously slightly different platforms. It's fun to watch like uh, Twitter, Twitter uh, users, especially kind of like lob friendly grenades over it, like the way at LinkedIn culture, which can be a little bit crazy sometimes. Um, hmm. So do you think about that in a different way? Like I noticed the Spark Tour accounts often retweeting you and Amanda. There's... Uh, you know, yeah. maybe it impacts a lot more like that it's coming from the person behind the company. How do you think about about that? Uh, so Twitter is definitely a place where I engage far more. I would say I'm like 50-50 professional personal on Twitter and I'm 90% professional on LinkedIn. I say professional. I mean, I don't use very professional language and I, I don't you know try and hide my... Uh, many, you know, whatever, personal or political opinions, but the content that I post is far more um, professionally focused on LinkedIn. And I would say it's, I also use it much less. So whereas probably visit Twitter 12 times a day and probably, you know, rep reply to tons of people on there, have conversations about like, you know, their mom's surgery or, you know, what weird movie Dr. Pete just watched or, you know, my friend in the beverage industry, which gin he likes and doesn't, you know, that, that sort of stuff, right? I do a lot of that on Twitter. I barely do that on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's almost all around, you know, marketing and entrepreneurial and business stuff, um, which is fine. I still enjoy those conversations. I, you know, I have lots of passionate opinions uh, when it comes to, um, you know, building companies too, but, uh, it is, it is a different mentality and mindset in terms of the, using the SparkToro account. So Amanda runs both the SparkToro Twitter and the SparkToro LinkedIn. And very frankly, other than being super impressed by her work, I give her almost no guidance there. Like she has so much experience, knowledge, um, so much more capacity and, and, uh, sort of social intelligence around that stuff that I just don't, I, I don't do anything. I think I gave her one suggestion for LinkedIn recently that was based on kind of a program that they're running, you know, a test program that they're running for brand accounts, but nothing. Yeah. Will, will you all contribute, like everyone on the team, UKC Amanda, will, will you all contribute to these? Uh, you, you had a cool name for them, but the, the, uh, uh, the topics that professionals get feel some kind of strong way about. I forget how you worded that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like the professional emotional topics. Yeah. Will um, you all contribute to those or like... No, Casey <laughs> Casey is basically like, I'm busy, you do it. <laughs> <laughs> he, does, he just doesn't care. Like, yeah. No, no. He's very, he's been very like engineering focused okay. and um, not particularly passionate or interested in that stuff. Uh, Amanda and I, I would say what's fun is I kind of love it this way. We both do things that we like. And, you know, if there's something that I'm talking about that Amanda's like, yeah, I don't really have an opinion about that. She, she just moves on to the next thing. Right. And and I'm the same way. If, you know, if I see Amanda posting about something, I'm like, oh, kind of interesting, but I, it's not really my jam. I, I don't bother engaging. Right. So it's very organic, very natural. There's not, I think you can feel this from the Spark Toro brand and from the two of us, three of us. We're all just ourselves. Mm -hmm. There's no, you know, there's no sort of whatever you want to call it, like a marketing suit and tie that we put on to go to LinkedIn or Twitter or our email newsletter or our blog or the podcast appearances that we do or the YouTube channels that we do or the webinars. It's just us. It's incredibly authentic, real human beings who are just sharing their real opinions 
technically we have something to sell you, but we don't, we don't really try to sell it to you. Like, it's great if you want to go sign up for a free account, SparkToro account. And it's also great if you're just listening to this podcast because you want to learn more about sort of serendipitous, um, you know, vanity metrics driven marketing and instinct driven marketing. And you have no interest in ever using SparkToro. I, I still hope that I'm valuable to you. And, that, and my goal is still to be valuable to you. And also to share all my other wacky opinions about the world. <laughs> and it's not... It's not sales at all, right? It's like the least LinkedIn LinkedIn participation ever. <laughs> right, right. I think ironically too, people that are especially tapped into, like I'm always auditing my own behavior just because I, I, I don't know whether it's like nerdy or OCD, but I, it's like, uh, but I'm very interested in like, why like why did that ad resonate with me? Why did that messaging resonate with like I And I think it really helps you with marketing. And so like the exact thing you're saying is the people I trust and buy from the most, like for sure. It's the people that are like, Oh, well now, like now I kind of want to go like, you're so not selling yourself. I kind of want to go look more, you know, into what you're doing or like, you know, or it's like, well, Rand is sharing this. Uh, Spark Toro is just this generous, friendly brand. Like, I feel like I know Spark Toro better now. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. So I think this is and and it is right. Like it's not SparkToro is like the least aggressive software as a service brand you'll ever find. That we we do uh, the opposite of trying to you know convert you fast. We do the opposite of trying to push you you know into a subscription. We do the opposite of trying to keep you in a subscription. When you sign up, if you sign up for a paid SparkToro account, we do this. <laughs> Thing that nobody does where we email you a few days before we're going to charge your credit card again. Yeah. You know, and we're like, Hey friend in three days, we're going to charge your card. If you're not using the account now is a great time to cancel. So you don't get billed. Uh, and you know, we'd love to have you back whenever I know no companies ever do this, but we're different and we'd prefer that you save the money if, if you're not getting value from it. And people are like, Whoa, what is this? This is crazy. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And Plenty of people still miss it and will write in and, you know, be like, oh, I, I missed my cutoff. I meant to cancel. Can I get a refund? And we're like, oh, no problem. Yeah. Like, of course, don't worry about it. Right. So it's just, I think that kind of attitude and approach um, is what you can do when you have patience. We don't need hyper growth. We don't look at every cancellation as like a failure and a loss. And oh my God, if we get five more of these this month, we might not be able to fundraise in two quarters because our metrics won't look good enough for the investors. And maybe, you know, how do we lock more people in and prevent them from canceling? No, you come to us when you need us and you go when you don't. Like, just just be people. Yeah, there's so many things. Uh, I, could, I could talk to you for another hour on this and the, and the philosophy behind it and why I think it is so powerful and why it's going to work. Like I think about this all the time when I go to cancel, like you go to cancel like a streaming service or something. And they all of a sudden the primary call to action color that you've gotten used to for all of onboarding is for, is not for like, help me cancel. It's like swap the other way. And, and yep. I just think like, if you dark trick, patterns, yeah, like all this stuff, if yep. you trick people into doing this, all you're going to do is maybe retain me one more month, but wouldn't you like to fix the problem? Like, wouldn't you rather make it really easy for me to cancel and make me think at least well of you or not piss me off while I try and leave and then maybe learn something about why I didn't like it and then go make the product better. So I actually want to come back and hand you money. So it's like, it all just feels, um, I guess a, a reversal of vanity metrics is like the real vanity metrics. Uh, here we go. This will be the title. The, the, the real vanity metrics is doing these things that, look good for a while to pump this up, but actually are like not driving any residual business effort. Vanity metrics aren't the thing that are, are letting you know that people are consuming your stuff, liking you, resonating with you, trusting you more and are leading to purchase, even though you can't measure it. This is the problem with serving the investor class instead of the customer, right? Like yeah. if you are serving the investor class, what you're trying to do is extract a bunch of millions of dollars out of a market, kind of build a, mo a monopoly, prevent competition, prevent, you know, fair behavior, use dark patterns as much as you can until you and your investors can get cashed out and then you move on to the next thing, right? It's this very value extractive very versus value creation um, mentality. And it is... 
it is really, really not good for fair and balanced economies. It's bad for, you know, income equality. It's bad for wealth equality, bad for everybody, but the incentives exist. And so this, you know, this is going to happen a ton. And I think it's hard. I think it's hard for a lot of entrepreneurs to like break out of that idea of, wait, my job isn't to screw everybody so that I can have a little more money. Are you sure? <laughs> Cause that's what I've been told my whole life. Um, yeah, I just love the way that you all are approaching this. I, I love the way that you're all thinking about, um, not measuring everything, you know, delivering value to customers and trusting that that's going to work out in the end. I know you have a hard out in like 30 seconds. So typically yeah. we have a whole result section or, or questions, but I, this conversation was well worth it. Um, I'll read the highlight. You, you mentioned that as a result of all of this, um, you know, f the focus on social and all these things, you did increase new signups by about 30% through June, July, and August through the summer, um, as all of this. So if anyone's curious to follow along, uh, with your journey, uh, follow Spark Toro, where, where do you want them to go? Where can they learn more about the conference in case this comes out before then? Yeah. 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 So, um, if you go to sparktoro.com, you'll see a little banner across the top for Spark together. And, and you can see all the, all the stories that we're, um, sharing there. The, uh, which one call it the the best you know thing if you're interested in actual Spark Toro itself you can go to the homepage and sign up for a free account it's forever free no credit card or anything like that uh, if you want to follow my weird opinions on all these kinds of things it's at uh, Randfish on Twitter and if you're looking for just more of the you know sort of professional and marketing content LinkedIn's a good place to do that where I'm Randfish awesome thanks so much for coming on run and sharing all this that you did yeah my pleasure Jeremiah thanks for having me Bye. take care. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.